as Mark mentioned, the children will remain in the service with us, and we're glad to have any of the kids in here with us. If you need to move around and shift around to stay comfortable through the service, that's totally fine. If you need something to do to lawn, that's totally fine. We're actually going to do something a little different um, at this point in the service than my traditional sermon. Uh, I have been able to meet with this new members class I've been meeting with. I don't know if you guys are all familiar with that. We have these great young couples that I'm meeting with on Sunday mornings. And on our first meeting, we had this illustration on the board that we talked through. And it was just designed to help them think clearly and concretely about where they are with Christ right now and what moving forward is going to look like for them. And it led to just some really great gospel conversations with them as we followed up in the weeks after. And so I used it again with our official board at our board meeting for a devotion and seemed to be helpful to them. And then I used it Wednesday night at youth. So people are going to think that I've just given up. I'm just teaching the same thing everywhere I go. But it has it has proven so helpful as I've talked to people uh, to just think and understand where they stand with Christ and what moving ahead looks like. And so I thought this morning, take a break from the traditional sermon, which I believe in wholeheartedly. I really think that the primary place of this podium is for God's word to be proclaimed, a passage to be proclaimed. But we're going to do something different this morning. And that's why these guys are bringing a whiteboard in. And I'm going to get Will Boston super strong, so he's going to come and help me move this podium out of the way. And then they're going to move that whiteboard up. And as we're transitioning this, if you'd like to move forward so you can see the whiteboard better, feel free to do that. It's going to be a little more casual for the next uh, 20 minutes or so. One of the reasons it can be a little confusing to figure out where you stand with Christ is because there's all different kinds of people in any given local church. You would think that every local church would just be stocked with 100% mature Christians. And so that you could go to any local church and just get immediately a good sample of what a mature Christian looks like. But that's not the case. Jesus never promised us that that would be the case. The church is a mixture of different kinds of people. And so I just I want to take you through five types of people that through my understanding of God's word and my experience as a pastor talking with other pastors, I think are common in any local church. And the question I want you to be asking yourself as we go through these five types of people is just, which one am I? Which one am I? All right, we on the same page so far? All right, so the five types of people are represented by these five different plants. And we'll start with the first one. The first one I would just refer to as the not yet Christian. So these are folks who may be here and interested in Jesus Christ, open to Jesus Christ, maybe participating at some level in church activities, but they haven't yet received Jesus. They haven't yet committed themselves to Jesus with Jesus being their Lord. They haven't received Jesus's forgiveness for themselves yet. They're kind of detached from it and they're holding Jesus out here and they're, they're looking it over. They're trying to understand the gospel. They're considering it, but they haven't made it their own yet. The seed hasn't yet been planted. Now, these types of people in the church should not be expected to show the fruit of Christianity yet. They, they don't have that new life yet. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 talks about our condition when we're not yet Christians. And it says, And you were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, you can just leave that up there as we talk about the not yet Christian. So before you have that new life that God brings to you through Jesus Christ, the Bible describes us as spiritually dead. We, we're not spiritually alive to God, His Word. We don't have the Holy Spirit yet. But there's potential there. Now, in my mind, the classic example of this for our church is Luna. You remember Luna Johnson? Uh, Let's not ever forget Luna. That is one of my favorite stories of our time together as a church since I've been here. If you don't remember, Luna was this brilliant academic woman that lived in our neighborhood back here. She and her husband lived back in here. And we sort of started to get to know her first as neighbors. Many of the church members live in this neighborhood and God just sort of brought our lives together. And she was Chinese. She was a material scientist, I think, and a professor at UNCC. And she grew up with atheist parents. But the Lord was drawing her in. And when she first came to be among us, she was not yet a Christian. She would come some on Sundays. and She would even bring uh, friends from work sometimes and her husband sometimes. But she wouldn't even have yet said that she was a Christian. She just had a lot of questions. And what she needed and what everyone who is that first type needs is evangelism. To move forward, that person just needs to hear the good news and be able to ask questions, get clarity to the point where they can make a decision. The next step for the not yet Christian, once they're able to ask their questions, is to make a call. Do I believe that this is true about Jesus Christ or do I not? If I don't believe it, then I'll just back away and I'll keep searching for what is true. If I do believe it, I'll give myself to him as my Lord, and I'll accept him as the sacrifice for forgiveness of my sins, which leads us to the second type of person. This type of person we'll call a baby. The Bible says that there are baby Christians. So when you first become a Christian, the Bible describes it like new birth. And you're born again, as the Bible describes it. Spiritually speaking, you're starting all over. Now, your expectations for a baby are different than your expectations for a grown adult. I hope. If not, you're going to be a very harsh parent. Baby Christians need to grow, need to grow up. That's the natural course for any living living entity. A plant, a child, and a new Christian needs to grow. I remember, I was going to okay this by Elias, but I forgot to, so I hope this is okay. I'm going to share a little story about you, Elias. I hope that's all right. It's not embarrassing. Elias, if you've gotten to know Elias, you'll know that he is incredibly determined and persistent and capable. Those are definitely three words I would use to describe my son, Elias. And at 11 years old, we see that showing itself in all kinds of different examples. But I remember when he was a baby, and we lived in Raleigh, And I think we moved when he was six months old, so he was somewhere between zero and six months, probably closer to the zero. And I was brushing my teeth in the bathroom to get ready to go to work, sold mattresses, so a pretty prestigious job. And I, Meredith was getting some much-needed rest because she was home with him, and uh, I had him in one of those bouncy seat things where they sort of sit back and they can bounce around, and there was a, um, a plastic thing over him with toys hanging down. And the idea was that he, that he would be able to, like, touch the toys and they would rattle, things like that. Do you all remember, you remember seeing these with children, right? He was really little. I remember him laying there in his footy pajamas. 
And in his eyes was all the determination, persistence, and uh, capability that we see now in him as an 11-year-old, but it was all there. And it's the first time I remember seeing it in him. And he locked his eyes in on one of those hanging down toys. And he, I just, I was brushing my teeth and I was watching and I thinking, why is he looking so intensely at that one toy? And all of a sudden, he kicked it. And it was the first time that he had on purpose interacted with that stuff. I mean, he was really little. And I think, I don't know if I woke you up, I just remember thinking, that was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing. He, he saw it, he processed, I think if I can kick that thing, it's going to make a neat noise. And then his brain sent signals through his body to his leg and he kicked it. And it was glorious and it worked and we celebrated. Now, if that was still the limit of his capabilities at 11 years old, we would not still be celebrating. If I was brushing my teeth this morning getting ready and he was laying there in footy pajamas kicking a toy and I would not be saying, that's amazing because my expectations are a little different now. He's, he's on the verge of being a young man now. He's growing. Now as a church, by and large, sometimes we just settle for baby expectations. And if somebody comes to church, we're like, yes! Somebody reads their Bible. Yes. But these are beginning steps. And we have to grow. We have to grow up. Now, sometimes people are baby Christians because they just got saved yesterday. And so we should have no expectations that they're going to be self-feeding. Yet, we should not expect them to be understanding theology. Yet, we shouldn't expect them to be a functioning member of the church, yet they're, they're babies. They need to grow. The Bible says they need milk. That's fine and natural. Sometimes our growth gets stunted for various reasons. Sometimes we enter into the Christian faith all tangled up with uh, really heavy baggage from our past, and it slows our growth down because we really just have to work through some issues, work through some uh, consequences of our own sin, people's sins against us, and it just takes time, and that's okay. Sometimes we don't grow because our environment isn't conducive to growth. Sometimes we find ourselves, we become a Christian, but we just aren't given mature Christians around us who will help us grow. And so we can go for years or even decades being genuinely a Christian, but not really progressing. We want to progress. If you'll remember, we're going through 1 Corinthians there in the summers right now. If you'll remember, this lack of growth was one of their big issues. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 2, Paul was writing to them and he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. In other words, I can't talk to you as if you're living by the Holy Spirit as a mature Christian. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready. So here Paul's kind of, kind of reprimanding the church because they were having a lot of immature issues. And he's saying, y'all should be more grown up than this by now. I'm still having to feed you with milk. You should be eating steak by now. You, sh- you should be growing up. You shouldn't still be laying there in footy pajamas playing with baby toys. You should be moving forward. 
So if that is you, if this first one is you, you really need evangelism. You need some Christians who can answer your questions and you can make a decision. If that second one is you, what you need is people to help you grow. We call this discipleship. That's what the Bible calls it. That's where you go to someone that you respect who's a mature Christian, that you see fruit of maturity in Christ, and you say, I'm a Christian too, but I, I'm not growing, and I need help. Would you be willing to help me? Could you, just, could you just meet with me and show me how you go about having a quiet time? How do you read the Bible? Because I don't even know where to start. I've been a Christian for decades. I've never read the Bible for myself because I just I'm not a reader. I don't really know where to start. Can you just give me some advice? Could we maybe meet and, and read through it together? i got to start growing. Now, you might think that people wouldn't be interested in meeting with you like that. I guarantee you they would. Any mature Christian is just salivating for an opportunity to help someone come to faith in Christ or grow in their faith in Christ. I guarantee you no mature Christian is going to turn you away if you go to them and ask for help to grow as a Christian. And as a church, that's our responsibility to do for each other. That's our calling. We, we have to, God has asked us, told us, commanded us to do this for one another. So if you're in a season of life of stunted growth for any reason, maybe jot down right now, who are the first three names that come to mind of mature Christians that you know? And just commit, just determine in your heart, I'm going to call them this afternoon and just say, I don't even know what it could look like, but I know I need to start growing I feel like you're a mature Christian. Would you be willing to get together and we could talk about it? Do that. That that could be for you a quantum leap forward in your faith if you would do that. When I became a pastor here, within that first year, I did some research and found two different directories of healthy churches based on theological stuff that I agree with. And I just worked the phones and I called the pastors of those churches until I got a handful of them to meet with me. And I just said, I'm a new pastor. I don't know what I'm doing. Would you be willing? Could we get together some? I could ask you questions. I just need a lot of good counsel, is what the Bible calls it, good wisdom. I already had Ron Thomas and Glennon Balser agreed to be my mentors, and God has helped me immensely through them. But the Bible teaches that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. My point in bringing that up is not a single one of those pastors turned me away. They were all, of course, We had people help us. We want to help you too. And that's what you'll find if you ask somebody to help you grow. So do that. Because really we all need somebody who can help us grow. So that brings us to the third kind of person. The growing Christian. That's the sweet spot. This one right here. This is what we want. This is where we all want to be. None of us are going to be perfect until Jesus Christ returns and completes this project But we all want to be growing, showing increasing evidence that, yes, indeed, we are living in freedom from our sin and condemnation. Yes, we have a Lord, so we're we are learning how to obey him, living more by his word. Yes, we've been given the Holy Spirit who empowers us to minister to others, and we're increasingly finding our niche where we can do that. That's where we want to be. I remember I told you this before, but um, shortly after high school at my home church, Trinity Baptist Church, they asked me if I would start teaching the middle school youth Sunday school class. Looking back on it, I really don't know if that was wise 
on their part. I don't know if I had uh, the the 18-year-old Matt Broadway in our church right now, if I would entrust him to teach our middle school youth, but they did. And I started growing like never before. At a certain point, babies become, boys and girls become, Big boys and big girls become young men and young women, and at a certain point, they start to take responsibility, not just for themselves, but for the other people around them. And so it is with Christians. Sometimes our growth gets stunted because we're still in a consumer mode. Babies are just consumers. I don't mean to insult any babies who may be among us right now, but babies are just needy consumers. Feed me. Change me. Snuggle me. I'm tired. I don't like that food. Eventually, they need to grow beyond that. And the more mature they get, the less they are consumers and the more they are productive. They start getting to work. They start figuring out who they are, what their gifts are, what their abilities are, and they start getting creative and they start being useful around the house. And so it is with Christians. And sometimes we're stunted because we live in a church culture where the, the biggest and best churches staff all the work out. Any one of you guys could leave Dillon's Grove right now and drive to one of the mega churches, and all the hard work of being in the church is, is staffed out, and people are paid to do it. And then you could be consumers for the rest of your Christian life if you wanted to. Now, that's not to say that that's the only people in big churches are consumers. That sounded, I don't mean that. I think some big churches are big because they're, they're doing a good job of making disciples. But you're, as a Christian, you're not just called to receive forgiveness and God's love and grace. You're called into this great, awesome work that God is doing in the world. And you're gifted by the Holy Spirit to be a functioning part of the body. So that's a sign of growth when you find yourself functioning, when you figure out what your niche is, the work that God's given you to do in the ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 is becoming one of my favorite passages these days. Listen to this description of the church. And he, referring to God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, and that's all of us, including each one of you who is a Christian, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what we want to be together. That's what these Sunday evenings are targeted at, moving us toward that together. There's good work to be done. There's good work to be done. Now, there's a fourth type of person that you'll find in any given church, and that's the sickly Christian. The sickly Christian is a Christian. They, they have trusted in Jesus and received his forgiveness, and 
given their lives to Jesus as Lord and received the Holy Spirit. But for some reason, they're in a season of life in which they're drifting away and their roots are shrinking back and they're not receiving all the nourishment that they need from God through Jesus Christ. Their Bible is dusty on a shelf somewhere. Their relationships in the church have grown sort of numb and people no longer really know them well and know what's going on in their lives to encourage them and help them. Maybe it's just because of some sorrow. Sometimes life gets so hard and difficult in this world or just busy that we can get shrunken in and we just, we're not connected to God like we should be. Prayer life gets squeezed out. Fellowship gets squeezed out. And if we don't correct it spiritually, we wither. We shrivel. Or it could be sin. Sometimes Christian will, Christians will allow sin to get a grip on them. So you have to remember, even as a growing Christian, we still live in a pretty inhospitable environment for growth as Christians. We have our own flesh, which is that sinful part of us that still hangs on, which is susceptible to temptations and things like that. We live in a world that has been built by the combined sinfulness of humanity over all the generations, guided by the hand of our enemy, Satan, our structures of entertainment and politics and economics are, are all infected with our human sin. So we live in a world system that works against us. And we do have an enemy who tempts us to sin and accuses us and does everything he can to strangle us from growing. And so Christians will get into sin. And the real problem isn't when a Christian sins, because we will all sin. Some of you may be sinning right now. Some of you might be thinking, well, he sure sounds dumb. Well, that's not very loving, is it? The problem isn't when we sin, because God has made provision for that. Through Jesus Christ, our past, present, and future sins are all covered. The problem is ongoing, unrepentant sin. See, a growing Christian is increasingly good at repentance. When we sin, going to God and saying, I'm so sorry, I've sinned against you, thank you for your forgiveness through Christ, and please help me change, because I don't want to be like that. Ongoing unrepentant sin is, I've sinned, and I feel pretty justified in it, because my life is hard, and I, I need to do this. I need to do what's best for me. A Christian can start walking that path and soon be completely untethered from everything that would keep them spiritually alive. Now, sometimes what that reveals is that they never were a Christian because God disciplines his children. He loves his children. Sometimes it's just a Christian that needs to repent and come back. And when we repent of our ongoing unrepentant sin and come back, we find God with open arms embracing us like the prodigal son's father when he returned. But I'll tell you, as a pastor... This is one of the most heartbreaking things I've experienced is when people drift away and they just keep going and they don't turn back. I still hold out hope for everyone, hoping that they'll turn back. But it's absolutely devastating to me. And it starts, it starts with small steps, but I'll tell you, it, it follows a predictable path. There's a troubling sin pattern among us, someone close to that individual 
tries to encourage them to stop and, and turn back. You know, you, you said you believe these things about Christ. You need to turn away from this. He can free you from this. He can change your heart so you don't desire this anymore. And the person calluses over their heart one layer and says no. Then that person that cares for them comes to me and says, Pastor Matt, I really need you to talk to such and such. They're going down a bad path. I do. I hate to do it. I've told you all before, I am one, according to the scientific tests, I am 100% conflict avoidant. I don't like these conversations, but I have to have them. And so I go and I call and I say, listen, I really need to get together with you. And I try not to say on the phone what it's about because I fear that then they won't get together with me. But usually they drag it out of me. I say, I'm just concerned for you. I've heard that there's stuff going on. I want to help. Sometimes that'll work and they'll get together with me. Sometimes they will not. When they say no, there's another callous layer on their heart. And then the next step, and this is so predictable, and, and I want to be clear about this. I'm not saying that, that well, I'll, I'll clarify as I go. The next step is usually a withdrawal, a withdrawal from the fellowship of the church. They just stop showing up and start reaching out. Hey, what's going on? I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, man, I've been sick. They've been sick. Neighbor's been sick. Dog's been sick. I just can't come. Oh, I hate to hear that. I hope to see you soon. Weeks and weeks and weeks. Call back. Hey, man, we still haven't seen you. Yeah, actually, we've been going to church. A coworker of mine goes to church over such and such, and we've been going over there. They've just got more stuff for the kids, and uh, their friends are there, so it makes more sense. And I said, well, you know, that, may, that might make sense. You know, I don't think every good Christian has to be a Doolin's Grove church member. You know, maybe the Lord is calling you over there. That's fine. Can we get together and talk about it? Yeah, we'll do that sometime. I can't, I'm real busy right now, so I can't do it right now. Not next week. No, not the week after that. No, not, the, not next year. Not, not until like the year 35, 20. And then there's this slow, ambiguous slide away. And so the, the idea is they're part of this other church. You may not know this, but I'll call that pastor. And I'll say, hey, I've got a church member who says they're coming over there. And uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. I just want to make sure they're in fellowship. And I don't tell them, I suspect the reason that they're slipping out is because I'm trying to address some sin in their lives. I don't know that that's their business just yet. But you know what often I hear? I don't know who you're talking about. Or I hear, oh, yeah, I think they did visit once or twice about six months ago, but I haven't seen them. See, we're really good. We're clever people. We know how to use, okay, he's going to keep bothering me about this, and I don't want to deal with the sin in my life, so I'll tell him I'm in this church. And maybe he'll just leave me alone, and then as soon as he's not looking, oh, okay, I can just step away altogether. It's, it's a very predictable path, and I've seen it happen. And I've talked to other pastors who have seen the exact same phenomenon happen. And the reason I tell you this now is not to create a witch hunt where you're thinking, well, who's he talking about? You don't need to know. Actually, you do need to know, but we're not ready for that yet. And that's a whole other topic. One of the worst things about our church culture is that people can slip into ongoing unrepentant sin and turn away from their Savior and remain church members of the church like everything's fine because I don't think we're ready to really address it like we need to. And ultimately, it's unloving the way we currently go about it, but I don't think we're ready yet to go about it the way Jesus tells us to go about it. So just forget that part for now. The reason I tell you about it now, I think if it's in the light and we're all aware of it, Maybe those here will be less likely to do it. 
Okay, so if you start to go, if it, you start to look like this, I have to come after you with love. I have to. And so do you guys have to come after each other. And when that happens, don't feel insulted or judged. Feel loved. And don't close yourself off to it. Allow it. As uncomfortable as it may be, say, yes, I'm struggling with this sin. And I do need help. We've got to help each other when we get to that point. And maybe now, too, you won't consider trying to go that route because you'll know that I'm on to you already. There's one other kind of person in the church that I want to talk about before we close. That's a price tag, in case you can't tell. And this type of person is what I'll just call a fake Christian. And these are present in churches as well. These are people who are pretty good at doing the church thing. They're pretty good at it. They're pretty comfortable in church. But they're not here because they love Jesus Christ and they're so thankful for their forgiveness and they're following Him as Lord and they want to get their marching orders for the new week and they want to reconnect with their comrades in the kingdom of God. They're here for some other reason. And in their hearts, they really don't care that much about God. Singing's the worst for that kind of person because they don't, why am I going to sing this stuff? Because those truths about God don't stir anything in, in the heart. And so the people that really know the fake Christian see the contrast. Maybe this is the children. They see mom and dad the morning of church, and then they see mom and dad at church, and they're thinking, who in the world are these people? Or maybe it's the co-workers that see the reality at work, and then later on, maybe a year, two, three years after they've known you, they find out you're a member of Doolin's Grove Church, and they're like, you're a member of a church? That's what Doolin's Grove people are like? That's what Christians are? That may be the most dangerous place to be of all of these. You can kind of tell, you can kind of tell fake Christians. You can't always tell, you can kind of tell. Have you ever heard of the, the concept of the uncanny valley? I'm just curious, has anybody heard of the uncanny valley? Matt and Kara. All right, this is going to be a really good illustration that's really going to connect. The idea of the uncanny valley, it's, it's uh, something you come across in design and things like that. It's the idea that if you were going to create a robot, I don't know if any of you are working on robots right now in your garage, but if you were going to create a robot, you probably don't want to try to make it look completely human because we have some innate way of telling that it's that something's off. And the uncanny valley is this idea that, that the more realistic you can make a robot or an animation like a cartoon, the better until it gets this close to looking like an actual human, and then all of a sudden it becomes really creepy and really bad, and nobody wants to look at it, and it really freaks people out. I actually had an image that I had emailed to Isaac that I was going to try to show you of an example, but I felt like it might be too creepy. It was a, it was a doll this is why dolls creep us out that look very realistic. The more realistic a doll looks, the more creepy it is because there's something in us that can tell. There's something that is just not really alive about this thing that's looking at me with those dead eyes. There's something creepy about something pretending to be real that isn't. And sometimes we can pick up on that spiritually, but not all the time. But you know who picks up on it every time? God. Our pretending must look so ridiculous to him. 
I mean, he knows our hearts. He knows what's in our hearts right now and in our heads. The church is no place for pretense. It's not just that there's no need to pretend because we're all messed up sinners in need of the same Savior. It's that pretending is ridiculous because God sees right through it every time. You know, in your heart, you're approaching this church member and you're thinking, oh, I hate their guts. Look at them. They're so smug. And they're like, hey, how are you? How's your day going? And then that evening on the phone with your friends, God, can you believe what she was wearing today? It's ridiculous. Man, God sees through that, and he has no patience for it at all. No patience whatsoever for fake. This is what the Pharisees were really good at, or so they thought. Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28, is one example of Jesus addressing the Pharisees. Pharisees are really religious people, really good at the outward religious stuff, but their hearts were just charred, blackened husks. They did not love God, did not love people. You know, Jesus was a really nice guy, I think it's fair to say. He hung out with some of the worst sinful people, you know, adulterers, swindlers, liars. He got along great with them because at least they were honest. At least it was clear to both parties that they were sinners, and he was able to offer them the road to forgiveness and life. But these Pharisees are the only people he speaks harshly to in the whole Bible, and man, does he speak harshly to the Pharisees. This is just one brief snippet, but you should read the rest of the chapter sometime. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So he sees beyond the whitewashed exterior to the interior, and that's where he wants to do his work in us. So if you're a sickly Christian, what you need is healing, and often that healing comes through the form of what the Bible calls discipline, just like a parent must discipline their children to put them back on the right course. God does that also with his kids. If you're a fake Christian, you really need the same thing that the not-yet-Christian needs. You need to just put off all that pretending And you need to get serious and just ask the questions you need to ask and make a call. Do you believe this stuff or not? So, which one are you? That's your assignment, is to seriously have that conversation with God and say, God, which one am I right now? And how can I move forward? How can I move forward to be this one? I want you to have that conversation with God, and I want you to have that conversation with one other person your spouse, friend, mentor, some other person. It's helpful to get these things out of our heads into reality, to talk to somebody about it. Because we really do have some great opportunities to move forward as a church, but we can't get there except from this position of growing Christians. You can't bypass and let's just all go marching forward into evangelism endeavors and into discipleship endeavors and into missions endeavors when we're all mixed up with all these types of people. We, it's the growing Christians that God wants to use. So first step, step one, before we get in it, into any of the opportunities that I want to share with you on Sunday evenings is we need to move toward being growing Christians together. So talk to God about it. Talk to somebody about it. Okay? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your grace toward us through Jesus Christ. 
Lord, not one of us deserves to be your children. Not one. Thank you for Jesus' payment for our sins. Thank you for allowing us to be your people. Lord, make clear to each and every one of us where we stand with you. Please enable us to move forward. Please enable us all to be growing together. Please show us where we need to repent and come back to you. Please make us incapable of pretense. Make us incapable of pretending any aspect of our faith. Let us be genuine, authentic people, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Anyone in here who is not a Christian, I pray that you would flip that switch in their heart, that it would be as as clear and concrete as possible. We entrust ourselves and our church into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.